only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding The scripture reading would be from Matthew 18, uh, verses 21 through 35. It's found on page 820, 824, I'm sorry, 823 of the Pew Bible. Let us hear the word of the living God. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, saying, I'm sorry, pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have heard had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Bless the reading of the word of the God. you would keep your Bibles open and also let's look to the Lord in prayer very uh, for a moment before we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we know that your word tells us that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, we know that elsewhere it also says that in your light do we see light. Father, we pray that that would be true for all of us here this morning. Would you allow us to see your light? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. In this passage here, I might wonder why I chose it. And a couple reasons. One of them is because in youth group over the last uh, semester, we were going through the life of Peter. And you might notice that Peter makes a little cameo appearance here. And uh, as we were going through the life of Peter, there were several passages I wanted to do, several I knew I had to do. And, and this was one that was sort of the, the next one on the list. If we'd have had one more week, we were going to study this. Well, it didn't happen. So 
you get to see this one. Uh, this one's the one that got away, and thankfully we get a second chance with it. But um, to begin to look at it, there's a quote that I read this week that I think it's helpful to sort of jump into it, to sort of see the, the heart behind what, uh, what Jesus is trying to tell us in this story, in this parable. Um, the gentleman who said this, I didn't recognize his name, you probably wouldn't either, but it was in a John Stott commentary. He said, we ought to forgive ourselves little and others much. We ought to forgive ourselves little and forgive others much. That's what he said. You know, that was one of those that I read and I couldn't keep going to the next line. I had to think about that one and think about whether that was true of me. Do I forgive myself little and forgive others much? And this simple fact of the matter is, no, I don't. And I even had to say that to a couple of people this week, which is not fun. But do I forgive others? Do I forgive myself little? Do I forgive others much? No, I don't. Most of the time, the opposite is true, and I'm afraid it might be true for some of you as well. Uh, many times, we don't forgive ourselves little, do we? We can find a lot of excuses for ourselves. We can find a lot of ways to forgive ourselves. We can find excuses like, I was tired, like I wasn't thinking about it, like it wasn't that big a deal, like you're just being too hard on me. We can always seem to find excuses for ourselves. We can always forgive ourselves if you will. But usually when it comes to others, those same excuses just don't seem to ring as true for us. They seem to be just that, excuses. And we don't want to hear them when it's someone else who's bringing them up. Now, the sad truth of it is, usually we don't forgive ourselves little and forgive others much. Usually we forgive ourselves a lot and we forgive others very little. And why is that? I think it's because in part, and you see this in the story, because we forget just how much we've been forgiven. We forget how much of a hassle we've been to Jesus Christ. We forget how much He's forgiven us. And I think if there's any one thing that He's trying to say in the midst of this parable, it's this. It's that you have been forgiven much more than you realize. Therefore, you should love and forgive others much. Once again, you've been forgiven much more than you realize. Therefore, we should love and forgive others very much. You know, as we look at this, I want to use uh, uh, three, three points to kind of hold this story together. And the first one is that even Christians desire minimum forgiveness. And what I mean by that is that we usually don't want to forgive that much. We want to forgive as little as possible. That's what I mean when I say Christians desire minimum forgiveness. We don't like giving it out. I don't like to be stingy with that, unfortunately. That's in verses 21 and 22. Later, we'll look at uh, the fact that Jesus declares maximum forgiveness. And then we'll also see at the end how Jesus commands maximum forgiveness. But first, I'm going to look at how even Christians desire minimum forgiveness in verses 21 and 22. And once again, what I mean by that is that we want to forgive very little. We want to forgive as little as possible. It's hard for us to do. And you know, when I first wrote, uh, wrote that point down, I, I wrote, sinners desire minimum forgiveness. And then I thought, no, that, that doesn't quite get at the heart of that. We almost expect that, right? We, we, would, we would expect to hear that sinners desire the minimum. But do we look at ourselves honestly? Do we realize that even as Christians who are sinners, saved by grace, I realize that. But do we realize as born-again Christians that still there are times when we desire 
the lowest possible level of obedience, the lowest possible level of forgiveness, do we realize that that is our tendency? Because I think we see that in Peter, maybe in in Peter and in Jesus' response to him. Because Peter, the one who's known as the rock, right? The one who, if you flip the page, is, is saying, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the, of the risen God. That, that Peter, that one kind of desires the minimum as well. You know, as he answers, there's a hint that he kind of thinks he's being very generous in his answer with seven times. But actually, it reveals a heart that wants to do the minimum. Um, you know, the question he asked, how often will, I for, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? It was a question that the rabbis back in the day asked as well. And, and they came to kind of a conclusion on that. They had said that, that not seven, but three was probably a good, good round number to use for that. Your brother sins against you three times, you should still forgive him even the third time. Apparently four times they thought was too much, but... But three was was their limit, okay? And say what you want about the rabbis. That's not really the point. The point is that was sort of the established rule of the day. And so here comes Peter. He asks the same question. And then what's the answer he gives? He says, seven times, Jesus? Should we forgive seven times? It's almost like he's expecting a pat on the back or the gold star by his name. It's not exactly how Jesus responds. (laughs) Jesus says instead, no, not seven times. How about 70 times 7? He, in so doing, takes the, the two numbers that were considered to be perfect or complete in the Bible. He takes 7 and 10, multiplies those together, and then multiplies it by 7, the perfect number as well. It's as if he's saying, not 7, Peter, but, but infinity. It's using a symbolic number here, meant to show that there is no minimum, there is no limit to the forgiveness that God commands of you. Once again, Peter wasn't asking this question in a way as if to say, God, how, how high is the bar? How high should I strive for? He seems to really be kind of asking, God, how low is the bar? How high can I jump? How low can I jump and just barely scrape over? That seems to be what he wants. He wants to know when he can stop forgiving, it seems to me. You know, it reminds me of something uh, a guy named Bebo Elkin likes to say. Uh, Bebo is uh, one of the founders, not the founder, but one of the founders of Reformed University Fellowship, or RUF, our denominations college ministry. And, and Bebo used to like to say that when it comes to ethics, when it comes to morality, Christians are minimalists. We like to do as little as possible. We like to know what we can do to get by. Romans 2.15 says something similar. It says that our conscience usually is doing one of two things. It says it's either accusing us, making us feel guilty, or it's excusing us. It's telling us that it's not really that bad. It's making excuses for us. But how in in this instance, how are we like Peter? How do we desire the minimum when it comes to forgiveness? Well, I think first it's important to notice that, that we don't just desire the minimum when it comes to forgiveness. That's something that goes across the board. In every area where God requires obedience of us, Our sinful hearts like to shortchange Him. We like to look for loopholes. We like to look for a way that's easier. Romans 1.30 says that our sinful hearts invent ways of doing evil. We like to shortchange Him. We like to look for loopholes. But specifically, when it comes to forgiveness, we, we hear the command that we need to forgive our brother. And what do we say in response? Well, it might be something like, but, but what about justice? Doesn't justice need to be served? Or, or don't I need to confront this person? 
doesn't mean he needs to be confronted in his sin. And true as that is, Tim Keller gives an interesting answer to that question in, in his book, The Reason for God, which we have on our book table, by the way. But Tim Keller takes that question, don't I need to confront? And he says this, don't I need to confront? Yes, but only if you forgive them. Why does he say that? Because he says, otherwise your confrontation will just be vengeance in disguise, intended to hurt somebody. He goes on to say this, only when you have lost the need to see the other person hurt will you have any chance of actually bringing about change, reconciliation, and healing. It's really a, really a check on our motives right there, isn't it? Often we ask that question, but he's saying, yes, you can confront, but only if you forgive them. But that's not the only way that we look for the minimum. That's not the only way we look for a loophole to this command. We, we ask in some ways the same question that Peter does. We ask, but really, how much, how often do we have to forgive? We look at that number. We look at 70 times 7, and we say to ourselves, obviously he can't mean 490. And I've even said I think it's a symbolic number. But just because it's a symbolic number doesn't mean we stop at four times, seven times, nine times, however many times it takes us to get sick of forgiving that person. No, what the reason Jesus gives the number he does is to say that no number of times is adequate. No number of times is adequate when God commands us to forgive from our heart. John Calvin puts it this way, how often should we forgive? As often as the sinner shall repent. Another person puts it this way. One might as well ask, how often must I love my wife, my husband, or my children? As to ask, how often shall I forgive? We don't like to hear that. We like to look for loopholes instead. Or we might say, instead of, I need to forgive this person, we might say, what if he doesn't ask me for forgiveness? A legitimate question. But even if that doesn't mean you forgive them to his face, I think it at very least means that you still need to, in your heart, forgo that desire or that, that right you think you have for revenge, to set things right. And instead, we need to give it to the judge of all the earth who will do right, the one who's commanded us to forgive from the heart. And then, but there's part of us that still asks, okay, what if he hasn't asked? But what if he asks but there's no fruit of repentance in his life? What if, what if they're just words and empty words at that? Another good question. And I think I would say first off, how do you know that they're empty words? Because we might be quick to just say, oh, they're empty words so that we don't have to forgive. But even if they are, even if you can maybe find a little bit of a loophole there, I think you have to ask yourself this. Are you praying for that person? to be humbled under the hand of God? Are you praying for that person to, to be repentant? Are you praying for that? And are you waiting for that day? And are you ready and willing to forgive that person? Because all those things, the, the questions, the, the, the heart that says, what if they don't ask? What if they ask and they're not sincere? How many times really do I have to keep forgiving him? Uh, don't I need to confront him? All those questions, they reveal a heart that wants to say, how much? How many times? It reveals a heart that wants a limit. And here Jesus declares no limit. He says at the end of the story that we're to forgive from our heart. To the last fiber of your being, you're to forgive. That's what he commands. But sinfully, us Christians, we, we desire minimum forgiveness. We don't like to give it out. That's in the first place. Second, though, 
Jesus also shows us in verses 23 through 27, Jesus declares maximum forgiveness. Sure, we don't like to forgive, but Jesus is saying that there is forgiveness for sinners. Notice the way he tells this story here. At the beginning of of this story, he mentions a master who is on the verge of selling a man and his family and all that he owns because he owed a debt that he couldn't pay. It's important to notice, you probably read that and you think, well, that's a little harsh, right? But it's completely justified in those day, uh, that day and age. It, they didn't exactly have chapter 11 bankruptcy and things like that back then. It's completely justified according to the standards of the day. And in the same way, think about this. If God had wanted to, it had been completely just, completely fair in one sense. He would have sent us all to hell. But we know instead, He sent His Son. Born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem us who are under the law and under its curse. He sends his son in grace to us. Therefore, he can not only be just, but also the justifier of sinful mankind. But, but back to this master. Once again, he'd have been completely justified if he did what he's threatening to do here. Sell this man and all of his belongings. Remember once again as well that he's a, he's a servant or a slave. He's a, he, he doesn't have quite the same rights. As a side note, I'd mention that that doesn't mean the Bible's approving of of slavery in any means. But this master, as he's threatening to do this, says out of pity he chooses to do something different. Other translations might say out of compassion he chooses to do something different. It's a funny word, that word for pity or compassion there. It's the the same word in Matthew 9.36 where it says, Jesus had compassion on the people because he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Those sheep without a shepherd didn't do anything to deserve compassion, did they? They were simply helpless, and that's why he had compassion. In the same way, this servant doesn't do anything to deserve this compassion or pity. All he does is beg because he has no hope. You might even say, but wait a minute, he makes a promise that he's going to pay this guy back. It's a promise he couldn't keep. The debt was too large. There's no way he would have ever paid it back. They were empty words, you might say. The only reason this master has compassion is because he chooses to. And notice, once this guy makes this empty promise to him, the master doesn't just rewrite the terms of the loan. He doesn't refinance things. He cancels it altogether. That's compassion. Who is that a picture of as you read that, as you see that? A master with the power to punish who chooses to forgive instead. He said last week, who is like the Lord? Who is like this Lord? See, Jesus is wanting to show, before He even gets to what He's commanding us in this story, He wants us to show a picture of a man who's forgiven much, to borrow a phrase from another parable. He wants us to show, He wants to show us, excuse me, just how forgiven we are. It's as if He says at the beginning of this story, before we even get to what's required of you, understand this, you've been forgiven a debt that you could have never paid, ten lifetimes worth of work you'd have never been able to pay it off. That's what he's wanting us to see. And to, to underscore that point, I want to talk about this, the, the debt that the servant has in this story here. If you hate math, please bear with me. But it says he owes 10,000 talents. And if you take your little ESV, you look down here at the footnotes, it'll tell you a talent was 20 years wages for a common laborer. Okay, But he doesn't owe one talent. He owes 10,000 talents. He doesn't owe 20 years wages. He owes 200,000 years wages. That's what he owes. 
200,000 years. I don't know about y'all, but I'm hoping to retire before I get that old. Um, I don't think he's going to make it. I don't think he's going to be able to save up for this. One person puts it this way. Even if this guy earned a hundred times as much as your average day laborer, his total income, not his savings, but his income would barely amount to a thousand talents. But he doesn't even owe a thousand. He owes 10,000. The more you look at it, the more you add up the numbers, you see that it's impossible. It's an impossible debt that's forgiven. This man is helpless and hopeless. As we read this story, this is the man that we're supposed to identify with. We're supposed to see ourselves in this hopeless, helpless man. Uh, John Stott puts it this way. He says, day after day, we are coming up short in many things, leaving undone what we ought to do and doing what we ought not to do. Day after day, we require mercy and pardon. Then he says, by way of contrast, our neighbor's offenses against us are mere trifles compared with our offenses against God. Day after day, we're racking up debts with our Heavenly Father. Day after day, our sin increases. Don't forget how much God has forgiven you. What we should remember at the end of this, don't forget how much God has forgiven you. Sinfully, we, even as Christians, we want to, we desire minimum forgiveness. But graciously, God has declared maximum forgiveness for us. But that's not all. Jesus also, He doesn't just declare forgiveness for us and then say, go on your way, be mean to other people and, and keep, keep on sinning. No. He declares maximum forgiveness and then He says, He commands maximum forgiveness as well. See that lastly in verses 28 through 35. And as he, as he shows that, as, as you see him command forgiveness, that we should forgive others as well, he shows you the polar opposite to start with. He shows you a picture, shows you unforgiveness illustrated. He shows us this same servant who's just been forgiven the unpayable debt, 200,000 years wages. He's been forgiven all that, and what does he do? Verse 28, just to underscore this, it says, when that same servant went out, same guy, just so you're not confused, what does he do? He goes and finds one of his buddies who owes him money, uh, some that pales in comparison to the other. We'll get there in a moment. And before he even asks him to repay the money, it says he chokes him. He grabs him, he chokes him, and then he says to him, pay me what you owe. And the guy does very much the same thing that he did. The, the man who had been forgiven the large sum, he got down on, on his knees and begged, right? It says this man does the same thing. He's the one who owes the, the, the really small sum. He gets down on his knees. And his, his plea for mercy is almost the same thing as the other guys, right? But the result is much different. The, the amount of forgiveness that that servant shows is much less than his master showed to him. And the sum that he was owed was much smaller as well. Let's talk about that for a moment. The servant who is forgiven the 10,000 talents, he's owed 100 denarii or 100 days wages. Once again, we said that he had been forgiven 10,000 talents, 200,000 years wages. Put it in terms of days. Instead of the 100 days wages that he was owed, he was forgiven 60 million days wages. Think about that for a minute. He's been forgiven 60 million, whatever, denarii in this case. He's only owed a hundred. And he can't find it in his heart to forgive that small of a debt. 
The debt that this man was forgiven was 600,000 times bigger than the one he threw someone in jail over. It's a heart that's not ready to forgive, to say the very least. And you know what's coming when you see this, right? When you see this unforgiving man. You know that the master is going to find out about this eventually. It tells us about that. And Jesus saves the convicting part for the end. He says in verse 33, the master says to this servant, first he calls him, you wicked servant. He mentions how he forgave this great debt because you pleaded with me. And then in verse 33 he says, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And as we read that, we know what the implied answer is. Yes, of course he should have. And as we read that, we know that there are times that we have been forgiven that great debt and have withheld forgiveness to our fellow man as well. And that's exactly where Jesus goes with the story uh, at, at the end as well. He lets you know the, the sad fate of this man who couldn't forgive. And then he says in verse 35, you see this man, you act like him, and you'll end up like him too. It says, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know, some of us read that and we, we hear the part where he says that if you don't do this, Jesus will do this to you. And, and we might be tempted to say, is that some kind of works righteousness? Is that, is that saying that I have to forgive before Jesus will forgive me? Is it saying I have to do something before Jesus will offer salvation to me? And it's a good question, but no, I don't think that's it. Because of numerous statements that we've seen in the book of Romans that say the exact opposite, that God saves us by grace and not by our works. But also because I think it's trying to get at something different. I think it's what, it, what it's showing us. Is that a man who acts like this evil servant, this wicked servant, never understood grace and forgiveness that was offered to him in the first place. I think what it's saying is, if you're forgiven, you must forgive. And if you forgive from the heart, it must be evidence that you're forgiven in the heart. The opposite is also true. If you can't forgive, what does that mean? But once again, if you're forgiven, you must forgive. That's what he's trying to say here. And you know, when we get to that point where it says, if you're forgiven, you must forgive, really it takes us right back to the beginning of the story. I must forgive? Well, how much must I forgive? To what extent must I forgive? How many times? Seven 70 times 7, 70 plus 7, something like that. How how great a debt or an offense am I supposed to forgive? If somebody owes me 100 days wages, am I supposed to forgive that? What about 10,000 talents, $10 million? How much am I supposed to forgive? Am I supposed to forgive that much? I think the answer is yes, but. Yes, you're supposed to forgive that much. But that's still not enough. You might be sitting there thinking, well, what is enough? What does Jesus say? The last three words of the parable, from your heart. Forgiven from your heart. Because you can forgive a large sum of money and still hold a lot of bitterness in your heart towards someone. He's saying you must forgive from the heart, from every fiber of your being. You have to root out every evil thought towards that person. You have to purge them away every time they come up even after you've already said the words to their face, every time from the heart. You might be thinking, but Matt, I I can't do that. It's, It's so hard to do that. How can that possibly be what's required? You can't do that. You know, I tell you this, but I can't either. 
I'm still mad about a guy who injured one of my teammates at a soccer game on Thursday. And I've got to tell you, every Thursday when I play soccer, I harbor a heart of unforgiveness for at least a few hours. Not proud of that, but I know it's true. And I think when we find ourselves in this place, when we find ourselves unable to obey possible command, where should that lead us back to? should lead us back to a compassionate master who forgives unpayable debts. It should lead us, I think, in a sense, to Romans 7.24, where Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And that should lead us to the next verse, where Paul says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, which should lead us to the next verse, which says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Where does this whole story leave us? Leaves us helpless. It leaves us hopeless. Almost hopeless. It leaves us knowing that we owe 10,000 times more than we can ever repay. And what hope do we have for a $10 million debtor? What hope do we have if we've declared bankruptcy, if we've been forgiven, but yet we still on a daily basis are digging the hole deeper and deeper? What hope do we have if that's the case? Well, there was once an innocent man who bore the sins of his people, including the sins of unforgiveness. A man who was spat upon, who was beaten beyond recognition, and who at the end of that whole bloody affair said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That man is our only hope. If you find yourself in a place of hopelessness, I suggest you go to that man where you can find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Dear Father, we read this story and we see ourselves in it as Jesus intended. Father, we see ourselves and we see that we have, Father, we have, collected, we have racked up a debt that we can never pay off. Father, we see that we can never work it off. We can never borrow enough to pay it off. Father, we, own, we know that there was one who paid it off for us and who offers us peace, who offers us pardon, who offers us forgiveness. And Father, it's to him we turn. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away